Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host... Ben Bateman. Nice pause. The wait, the wait for it. I'm here. Left people excited. Hanging. Yeah, this is a big one. We uh, we have announcements and things on this podcast about modern. The first one is our YouTube, three thousand subscribers. Look at that. Woo! You guys. I would have uh, been louder, but there's a mic here, and I didn't want it to peak. Then I touched it. Audio issues. Man, I can artificially pump it up. Oh, so it seems like you're oh. wooing louder. Dope. Who's that voice you hear? You hear our producer, Marshall. Marshall, we hired Marshall, and then we cursed three thousand subscribers. So it's all him. It's all on we did him. He's uh, all all one thousand YouTube accounts were just Marshall. Yeah. Making ghost ones and <laughs> subscribing. I'm just a Russian bot, really. <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, it's a big day. It's exciting. Yeah. So uh, proud of it. Yeah. We also got 5,000 members in our, our Facebook group. Yeah, new yeah. moderators. It's all them, once again. Give yeah. all the credit to other people. Yeah, everyone's doing their thing. Yeah. Uh, we have more people in the Facebook group than we have of Twitter followers. Which is hilarious. Yeah, because um, the Twitter was started four years ago. That's crazy. This podcast has been going on that long. So we, uh, <laughs> we have uh, Chaz on, Chaz Andres, who last time he was on the podcast was within the first... I want to say three months of the podcast existing. He didn't f- back then, like when that happened. It didn't feel like at the time that was in the first three months. I have a good sense of time, but like that's weird to me. I felt like he was like a one of the later guests that we had on, but he was really one of the first guests we ever had. I think. Yeah, I'm trying to bring up. I had the window open. I lost it. Uh, it's like back in like you said, like March 2015 it or is something. March 13th, 2015. I remember I did episode I was in tw- Seattle episode 23. So it was it was halfway through the podcast halfway? existing. Halfway through? Well, yeah, because there's 52 weeks in a year. We recorded a podcast every week oh, for you the mean first it was, year. You mean it was like a, f- yeah, a little less than. It was less than halfway through the podcast's so, yeah, yeah. first year. A few year. months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I thought you meant halfway through the whole. The no, 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 the, the, the pod, first year. First year of the podcast. As this is episode 203, I think now. Yeah. Or 202 or something like that. 180 episodes of us talking. A hundred and. Wild. Probably about 200 hours of us speaking away from now. Chaz was on here for the first time. Um, he's going to come on a little bit later. We're going to talk about, uh, he wrote an article about uh, the health of modern and is modern uh, poised to become a, have a big comeback moment. Um, it's on Star City Games. It's premium. So you do have to have a premium account though. You can uh, get access to it. I think all SEG articles become public permanently after four weeks. Oh, Star City Games is a new logo. Didn't know that until just now. Well, whatever it is, it's a great article. Um, and Chaz knows a ton about finance. So we're going to talk to him about magic prices. We're going to talk to him about just the long-term health of magic yeah. paper versus magic online and arena. Mm-hmm. So that should be a great conversation coming up. We are going to be at Grand Prix Los Angeles. Are you guys going to be at Grand Prix Los Angeles? I, 
Us? Yeah. I was asking the fans. Oh. Um, I will be. Yeah. I'm the voice of the fans. We'll be there, Ben and Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're really excited about it. The last time that we had an event at a Grand Prix was back in September. If if Marshall goes, though, I need you to wear, like, a ski mask, because I don't know if people are allowed to know what you look like. You're just supposed to be a voice behind them at all times. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, but they already know what the back of my head looks like if they are stream watchers. That's true. We should like hire. We should hire like a like a super just like dialed in like um uh, what what's the like what if we hire like six people all with shaved heads to walk around so you don't know which one is Marshall. I think it'd be way funnier <laughs> to hire like a promo girl like the girls that get hired at like car shows okay. and claim that's Marshall and have her walk around <laughs> shave her head too. I'm actually an attractive promo girl. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah. So, um. GPLA. Uh. We we kind of. We, we're, we're, we're going, and we also plan on doing, you know, if you were here last GPLA, we did a big meetup, and we're going to do it again. Yeah, the last time, it was kind of an impromptu thing. We knew we were going to do something, but we decided that we were going to do some chaos drafting. So we kind of went around the, the event, we bought a bunch of packs, uh, and we had a bunch of people show up. And in the end, we kind of took over the patio at this Marriott at LA Live a few blocks away, and it was like this outside thing. It was really cool. About 40 to 50 people showed up, and so we're going to do it again. I believe it'll be at the same same location. Um, if we do end up changing it, it will be within blocks of that same location. Yeah. But as it stands now, the best thing to plan for is the, the Marriott... At LA Live, there's a cool back patio that's got a lot of table space, and we're going to run a bunch more chaos drafts. We'll play some Commander, play some Modern, play some Highlander, any probably. other format. We'll put some Highlander there. Um, yeah, so it should be sweet. Um, if you go to the GP, throwing contests. Yeah, machete and knife throwing contests. Yeah, so you can cut a carrot in half by throwing a mountain. Yeah. Nope. That's not safe. <laughs> you can do it. There's videos of people cutting fruit with cards. I can't. Okay. I can like throw a card three feet. If you're able to cut fruit with a card, show up to this meetup. Um, well, so- I will give you <laughs> one pack out of the chaos draft pool at random if you can cut a carrot or if you cut cut a, cut a, at least one fruit or vegetable with the card. And we will take we will take all Amonkhet packs out of the chaos draft bag when you're picking your pack. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of them. So, but make sure when you show up to look for Alex and myself, uh, I will very likely be in a suit. I'm not sure what Alex will be wearing if you've never seen us or met us. That's a thing to do. Um, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, all the things. It's really important for us to grow the YouTube right now. It's the thing that we're trying to focus the most heavily into this year. Um, and actually, this is really exciting. Coming up next week on the show, we are introducing something brand new for you guys. Alex and I are going to be at New York Toy Fair, which is this crazy, awesome toy event. Alex owns a toy company. I work for this company. Um, we will be there in support of that. But we are recording something called Best of One for next week. And you guys on this feed were the very first people to ever hear it. The basic tease is that this is going to be an arena podcast. Um, It's going to be focused on best of one play. We're going to have other guests that are hosting it, people that play a lot of arena. We're going to be talking about what it's like to build decks when you are against an open field. There will be no sideboarding and kind of how you have to construct your decks, the way you build something. So it'll it'll be interesting. It'll be kind of an instructional podcast for people who are trying to get into arena. And this is not replacing the modern podcast. We are yeah. next week we will be doing kind of a pre-segment that's going to be modern focused and then we'll lead into that and it's kind of trying to get out to see what you guys like a bit. Um Michael Grothy who's been on the podcast a lot as a guest the last 6 months is going to be kind of a part of that experience. Could have fluid more guests on and have it be more of a variety kind of thing focusing on arena best one because it's another format that you know Ben plays uh, Highlander Roulette which is a almost exclusively best of one per deck that you play with. And yep. I played a lot of best of one arena over the last six months. And so we're excited to kind of uh, branch out a little bit while also consistently coming out with the modern content that we 
have been doing so far. And it's to, just to clarify, guys, I will not be, as somebody who's learning about Arena, one of your key hosts. I will be somebody who, when I'm guesting on the show, I'm learning about Arena. So uh, my, my role in this is going to be kind of part of the team, but you're not going to be listening to somebody who doesn't play Arena talk about Arena. That's not the point. You don't know anything about anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. All of his movie talk is just him. He's never actually seen a movie before. Just it's all just it's just all research. It's very impressive. Memory. Yeah, yeah. Good memory. Um, so look out for that best of one guys next week on the feed. It's going to be exciting. We're we're excited to share that with you. We'd love to know what you think about that. Hey guys, Masters of Modern here with a couple quick shout outs for you, the listeners and watchers of this show. First thing is, guys, follow us on Twitter, at the MMCast. We've had a Twitter for years. It's a great place to interact with us. We post exclusive images of our brand new spoiler cards, all kinds of cool stuff. Check it out, at the MMCast. It is a great way to support the show. Cass, where can the folks find you personally? I'm at Cass Wiley. You guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media. The second thing is we have a YouTube. You may be watching this right now, honestly. You might be listening to it. But one of the big pushes for us in 2019 is to build this YouTube channel. We want to get more eyes, more ears, bigger guests, better episodes, higher production quality. We even hired a producer right now, so you might even see the camera angles changing. Subscribe, like, comment. It's going really well so far. And honestly, if you guys support it, even if you're an audio listener already, it's a huge thing you can do to help us grow this. The third thing, and maybe the most important thing for our long-term health, is patreon.com slash the MMcast. Guys, this year is going to have a ton of cool rewards for you. We really want to make the Patreon feel special, and it's a great way to help us grow. Our ability to hire the producer, to get new gear, to do anything cool in the future is going to be dependent on our ability to actually pay for it. Because right now, Alex and I are just paying out of pocket for the show. You know, we love it, but that's what we're doing. Well, and, and the producer will help us kind of make sure we stay on stuff on Patreon. So it'll be a really thriving community. Yeah. Now, the last thing I want to talk to you guys about is the command zone. Jimmy Wong, Josh Lee Kwai, these guys helped us start this thing. Mm -hmm. Collected.company is where you can find their stuff. They're seriously the most professional magic people in the world. Not named Ben and Alex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they make awesome content every week. Commander Focus. They do game nights. They do uh, the command zone is the, obviously the podcast, the sister podcast of the MMCast. Check them out. Collected.company. It's the same place you can find our episodes every week as well. And the last thing is if you guys want to check out a great community, check out the Facebook group, the Masters of Modern. There's a ton of people in there. It's very interactive. There are constantly threads about new decks, new conversations. Uh, it's very active. Check it out. That's uh, Facebook, the official Masters of Modern group. And otherwise, let's get back to the show. Yep. Thanks, guys. And now we're back. So let's talk about magic news over the weekend. <laughs> is that your favorite part of the show that you this get to do the ticker? It's down. This is <laughs> down. Um, some big stuff happened over the weekend. Uh, let's let's talk about some of these things. Arena had some updates that were announced. They introduced in challenge what's a challenge mode when you challenge somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's now best of three play in challenge yeah, yeah, mode yeah. as opposed to best of one play. One of that in, in ranked play. Now I before play Arena playing ranked <laughs> up to go up, you had to play best of one. That's where best of one came from. They've now added best of three as well. Um, and it's going to be an interesting conversation. We're going to really talk about that in, in next week's episode on on the strengths of both and why best of three versus best of one will be more successful or more played format. So that's a big piece of news. You can go check out the article on the Mothership talking about uh, there's new languages that are going to be supported, best mm -hmm. of three play, some other cool stuff on there. Discord's going to be more integrated. Right. Um, so yeah, Arena continues to develop. That's exciting. Um, two big modern tournaments happen. We're going to talk about the results in just a second. The SCG Classic uh, that was played in Dallas was won by Humans, piloted by Patrick Claggett. And uh, there was a GP in Toronto that was won by Jackson Flanagan. 
Uh, sorry, sorry. Michael Rapp, one playing Grixis Shadow, beating Were Prison from Jackson Flanagan. We'll talk about those uh, top eights in just one quick second. Yeah, um, another big announcement was the next uh, Mythic Championship was announced, and it's taking place, This it's Mythic Champion London, and it's taking place the same day as the pre-release, and there's a lot of drama about that, and we talk about a little bit with Chaz later, but, you know, basically, the the big issue is... London is a relatively small magic community, and so this GP, this Magic Fest being also a pre-release and a big pre-release event could suck up a lot of the player base for many local local game stores. And, you know, I don't know if this is true for your game stores, but the pre-release is their largest game days they have in a, se- in a season, if not the year. So them losing such a large per- percentage of their player base could be detrimental to local game stores. And that's a lot of what the conversation right now is about. Now, on the other hand... Um, you know, I, I am excited. You know, I loved the old kind of big event pre-releases that they had before they moved everything permanently to LGSs. So from a player enjoyment perspective, I'm excited to get another big event to go to uh, that's, you know, see everyone you know in the area and have a good time. So it, it's going to, uh, obviously we're not, it's happening in London, so <laughs> yeah. I don't get to experience this regardless. But uh, I see the negatives and positives, and I think maybe the biggest mistake was that it's happening in London versus a larger carpool or uh, people pool yeah. area like the United States or somewhere else where like a one of these in Chicago or one of these in New York isn't going to hurt every LGS in the country. Right. Um, so the last thing is that modern prices are hitting an all-time low right now. They're down about 30% from where they were about six months ago. Mm-hmm. We have Chaz coming on in a little bit to talk about that. Yep. What a good time to buy in, what's going to happen to those prices. So just something to notice if you guys are noticing that a lot of your modern staples are, are tanking. But I think, I think a lot of people see this as a, oh no, magic is, paper magic is failing and, and, and we need to be worried about like arena taking all of modern's player bases away. But something that also just a great of salt this is the lowest point in modern prices normally in the cycle in the cycle i mean it's it's normally maybe centered around december versus february but the fact that there's no modern pro tour happening immediately afterwards means that you know modern season's spring to summer that's when the ptq season classically was right now we're at the moment where modern normally plateaus or, or dips down so i think that yes there's other factors in, in, in that are going along with it and we're going to talk a lot about those with Chaz, but some of it is just this is the normal cycle of a yearly magic player. You know, modern goes down right after Christmas because everyone's saving their money for Christmas gifts. This is true of retail in general. I mean, like we can look at our POS as a toy company. January is our worst year or month of the year because once you spend all your money on toys and stuff on Christmas, you have no money for a couple months. Yeah, right. <laughs> so things work in cycles, and so yeah, it's it's a uh, it's one of those things. You can read Chaz's article; it's interesting talk, talking about what you guys can look forward to. But uh, stay tuned for the interview there. Now, talking about some of the results from the weekend, um, we'll start with the Star City Games Classic in Dallas. I mentioned Patrick Claggett won with humans. I looked at the list. What's interesting about the list is that it's playing sort of twos and three ofs of a lot of the cards we've seen in humans for a while. His particular list was playing. I think like two or three copies of Mayor of Aberbrook. It had two or three Phantasmal Images. It had two or three Militia Buglers. Like just the, a lot of the same cards we've seen, the same 19 land for Aethervile list, but just sort of his own build. And the deck continues to be very, very good. One of the things about humans that's so good is that there's a lot of graveyard hate running around in modern and humans does not get affected by graveyard hate whatsoever. Dodge so you it. dodge it, which is nice. Nice. You just dodge the mic there. Mm-hmm. That was cool. That's cool. You did that. <laughs> Wow, I wasn't that. I don't know. Yeah, now it's being made fun of. Sad. Um, Second place was Eldrazi Tron, uh, piloted by Matthew Delbert. 
this is an Eldrazi Tron list we've seen. I mean, Eldrazi Tron is a sweet list. It was really, really good a few months ago. Mm-hmm. It's not as good right now, but obviously second place is powerful. Third and fourth place is rounded out by Dredge and Titan Shift. These are pretty standard lists. Nothing that stuck out to me here. Burn in fifth and sixth place, or fifth place with Mono Green Tron in sixth. Another Dredge list in seventh. Mono Red Phoenix in eighth, tar- uh, piloted by Seth Cole. This one was pretty cool to me. Uh, and I'll tell you the most interesting thing about this list he has taken the skewer the critics light up the stage tech from mm-hmm. mono red burn. He's applied it to mono red Phoenix. So now the lower yeah, the you ground don't need blue spells as much because you have more one drop red spells that are valuable. But I will say that the thing about that, that I think is a little weird is that light up the stage exiles two cards at the top, which does not allow you to play a Phoenix. If you exile one early in the game, mm-hmm. you just lose one of your Phoenixes. If you hit it in the first three turns of the mm-hmm. game before first four turns, really before you have the extra mana to cast it. And your Phoenix is a pretty valuable card in that deck. Yeah, but I mean, the other half of that is like, that's a deck where you want to be chaining a bunch more spells on turn three anyways. Like you're not, that deck isn't trying, like turn one and two is really about just getting stuff into your graveyard so that on turn three, you can cast three spells in a turn so you can bolt your opponent and then play the two, um, what's the mechanic called? This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The spectacle, the two spectacle cards. Um to then get your phoenixes back i think that's more when you want to trigger it anyways because and and the light up the stage is the three damage one no that's no. Skewer the critics okay yes. light light up the stage stage the draw two. yeah so light, light, light up the, the stage, stage two, yeah. lets you draw into the additional cards you need to be able to cast the phoenix but the phoenix i'm saying because light up the stage exiles the cards so if you yes, exile but... a phoenix before you hit turn five the phoenix is gone forever you'll never be able to cast it you can't discard it why you exile on turn three you can play it in turn four as a three two if you sure, if you just cast it on turn four, like if you if you exile on turn three, you hit your land drop, you spend the full turn casting it, maybe. But I don't know well, if no, that no, deck. No, no. no you, on turn three, I'm trying. I have phoenixes in my graveyard. I yep, cast yep. A, a few spells. I cast this. I draw. I exile a phoenix and another card. I then continue doing my turn. I get the phoenixes that I have around back, and yep, on my next yep. turn, I can just cast it on my as my four drop as a three two haste. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's if it curves out. You hit your fourth land drop. It's bad I'll, if you have both of them, but like that's. All I'm saying is statistically unlikely and true if you hit two of uh, any four drop with that card anyways. I realize that in the deck you're just hedging, and if you do hit a Phoenix Exiled in the first three turns of the game, it just is what it is. But it is something notable that if you play that card and exile Phoenix, it's it's an absolutely dead card before you hit turn four, and it makes your deck a little bit less cohesive because there's no way to get around it. But you don't want to play that card before turn three anyways. You don't cast it on turn two. Because the point of that card is to be able to cast multiple spells in one turn to get your phoenixes back, and you're not going to cast that before you can cast three spells a turn, sure. which is at earliest turn three. It's a fair point, but you do, have to, you do have to hit your land drops to be able to get that phoenix back on turn four. Yes, but you just paid a three one mana draw two, and you're playing a deck that's probably... I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying it's one of the interesting interactions in this deck that the mono-red decks don't have to deal with, and the other phoenix decks don't have to deal with. It's, the, it's those two cards together create a situation where sometimes you're going to get a case of the feel-bads when you exile one of the sweetest cards in your deck and can't use it. And I'm saying that, yes, that's a problem, but every deck has weird problems like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Just, I think that just, a, just an interaction right. I noticed. Okay. I think it's or, interesting how Light of the Stage uh, is, is specifically good with Crackling Drake. Because even yeah. if you don't cast the spell, it's, it's like exiled still pumping it. my Drake. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really cool. Well, that's, it's not played. In, that's blue red. Yeah, but doesn't Crackling Drake? Some of the Crackling Drake decks I was seeing playing some lightning or some light up the stage cards. Themselves. I'm not sure if I've seen the blue red ones yet. This was the first I had seen light up the stage in a Phoenix deck, but it wouldn't surprise me. I think you're right. Well, it's maybe I'm thinking of standard. It's standard. Exactly. It's so weird that there are standard decks. There are modern decks now that are 60% cards that are legal and standard right now. Yeah, the, the one that top it, the blue red one that top it. The big tech out of blue red is that they're playing Pyromancer Ascension now. That's yeah. the sick tech out of the, the blue red ones. Um, but uh, the ninth place deck was Banned Spirits, Raymond Del Martyr. I always like to include the ninth place just to see. But most of these decks, they're known quantities. I'll probably end up playing one of the decks on this list at the GP, <laughs> I'm guessing, because I had to agree on our last yeah, episode was, talking about GP. It wasn't the last one. We, 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 like, months ago, it was last, we brought it up again, but la- months ago we made a bet that you had to play a real deck at a GP. And now it's time. I'll be playing a real deck, so we'll have to establish what a real deck is. I'm still asking someone on there to upload a list that is uh, I would like that I can claim as a real deck. <laughs> um, on the other side of things, really quickly, the GP in Toronto. Yep. Uh, Fair decks are back. Yeah, Grixis Shadow wins. War Prison gets second. Is it Phoenix in third? Uh, now, because of the way that... And Channel- Jund and Black Green Minrage are there. Like, <laughs> Is Jund? Yeah, Jund was, uh, got eighth place and Black Green Minrage got eighth place, along with Is it Phoenix and Dredge. Uh, I had two black green rock decks. Uh, is it Phoenix and Dredge in fifth through eighth? I don't have a Jun deck. I'm looking at MTG Goldfish's turn report right now from GP Toronto. This was GP Toronto was Grixis Death Shadows first, Tesserator second, fourth place was Is it Drakes and Titan Shift, eighth was Jun to Black Green Midrange, Is it Phoenix and Dredge? Interesting. Okay, so yeah, I went off the Channel Fireball site. It was a little bit wonky in the results they listed, which is why they're handwritten here. Sure. Because I couldn't copy it. Well, I think your two Black Green Rock, they're categorizing one as John and one as Black Green Rock. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, but yeah, I think most of what's here is, again, pretty standard. There's like nothing that crazy. We're Prison getting second place is a little interesting. Um, we've seen that deck showing up more and more. Sure. It's just kind of a variant of like a Lantern deck. It's like it, it starts to feel very similar. War of Invention is a good card. Ancient Strings is a good card. All of these artifacts are good card. Before they were in one shell, which was the uh, Lantern Control decks. Then they were in KCI decks, and yeah. now they're in Tesserator decks. And I think that the this kind of card suite is always going to be strong. The interesting thing to me is the only Tesserates in this list are in the sideboard, <laughs> and they call it Tesserator because it like is a Tesserator deck. But like War of Invention is really what's going on here, and they just. It's being classified that way because of the historic precedence. So we've got over here Tesserator piloted by Jason Flanagan on MTG Goldfish. Mm-hmm. And on start on Channel Fireball, he was listed as Jackson Flanagan, J-A-X-O-N. Now, Jackson is a sweet Mortal Kombat name. <laughs> Jason is a pretty standard name. Uh, they're both cool, and congratulations for doing well at uh, GP. Jason is a modern name. Thank you very much. I hope that your name is Jackson with an X. And if it is, introduce yourself to me at the next GP you see me, and I will shake your hand, sir. <laughs> Uh, Jackson. Could you guys talk just a little bit about Bottled Cloister? This is a card I've been seeing show up in Word decks. Yeah. It so seems it, like a relatively new card on my radar. It's a, it's a, I guess, hard lock or soft lock, depending on how you, you want to consider it, with uh, uh, it's Daring Bridge. So when it's in play, your hand goes away, and during your turn, it also makes it so they can't counter your spells, correct? So it kind of makes it so that when you're doing stuff, you can do whatever you want. No, it uh, it uh, so draws you an extra Cloister. card, but it hides your hand away on other players' turns. So, yeah, so it draws you extra cards, and then makes it so that bridge is a lock. Yeah, um, snaring bridge, they can't attack you because you'll never have a card in your hand. It's it's It was interesting tech that came up in Lantern like over a year ago, and as I said, a lot of this deck is just Lantern. It's like Lantern and KCI combined. With well, just, it's like, Lantern new... with no Lantern, and it's KCI without any yes. eggs. So it's like the it's the lockout 
features of both. But a lot of the artifacts that make those decks hum are here. So Bottle Cloister, never, it's never really caught on as like a card that's shown up in lists beyond this, but it's like a usually one or two of in lists like this now. Um, as a cute way to play with Staring Bridge, and well, it's it's a, I mean it's a lock, and especially a deck that kind of needs that, where other decks have easier way. Like this deck has way more three drops, two drops, and four drops than a lot of the decks classically. Like Lantern was all one drops, right? So it was a lot easier for the deck to empty out its hand and keep kind of card flow. But this deck needs something to be able to get rid of their more expensive cards so that they can kind of go long. Yeah. So that's pretty much the top A's from the weekend. Um, we are going to get into our interview with Chaz Andres here talking about Paper Magic, its prices, and how they're going to fare in the long term with Arena. Uh, anything else before we get to Chaz? Uh, no, I think we're ready. All right, let's get to it. And big welcome to Chaz Andres. Welcome to the podcast yeah, again. Welcome back, man. Hey. This is exciting to have you back. Thank you so much. I think it's been almost two or three years since the last time I was there, maybe even longer. It's nice to talk to you both again. If I recall, the last time we had you on the show, we were talking about predictions around like as cons maybe was rotating. And I seem to remember the discussion of wow. collect, collected company and how much it was going to be worth long-term. Like that's like the, and see the unwritten, I think was a card we all talked about. Well, we discussed this. I'm actually going to look yeah. up when you were on the podcast last. <laughs> oh boy. I was definitely, I, I hope I was bullish on collected company. I still love that card. I know I took a bit of a bath on see the unwritten. Yes. That was the one that I remember you were pretty hot on Alex and I yeah. March 13th, 2015. Wow, that was before I before I moved uh, yeah, east, you, and then before I moved back west. Yeah, you lived here. It was it was uh, yeah. a bold time back in <laughs> uh, what's it called? What movie came out that year that I loved? Uh, Fury Road. Yeah, Fury oh, Road. Fury Road came out. Um, Still one of the best ever movies. Yeah, I, I think it's my number one for the last ten years. I mean, it's it's great. I'm pretty bullish on Enter the Spider Verse. Like being up there i don't i have to see it a few more times my before embarrassing like, admission is that i still haven't seen it which is crazy fury road no oh spider, spider verse. verse okay uh both spider verse and fury road are like perfect 10 out of 10 movies for me so uh i can't provide great content by disagreeing with you because you're spot on those are amazing films <laughs> the conversation of 10 out of 10 movies i like want to go down this road so badly but i need to remember this is a magic podcast um, right. So what we're here to talk For to you about, now. actually, well, the first thing I want to do is actually just remind everybody, uh, because it has been a few years since we've had you on. So Chaz is a writer, uh, magic speculator, finance analyst, all all the cool things, magic player for well, Star City and Games. Also, and, and, and also writes on the mothership. Yes. Or he did. Do you know? Yep, I, I, I do. I do still occasionally. I have actually an article coming out on uh, Ravnica Guilds, hopefully in a couple of weeks. Great. Um, they they've outsourced a lot of their content, so they don't they don't produce a lot uh, anymore. But I I love writing for them when I can, um, and I also do uh, weekly update videos for MTGO traders on the uh, Magic Online market. Very cool. Okay, so there's like so many questions that we have for you. The the real start of this conversation, where it kicks off, is you just wrote this article about the biggest modern rally ever could be happening in two weeks, and that's in reference yep. to. <laughs> This announcement that we heard on an official Wizards of the Coast stream that there's a brand new modern product that's going to be entering the marketplace soon and is going to be announced by the end of February. Uh, this product is suspected to be exclusive modern, possibly cards that are printed into the format. That's, that's the big suspicion, right? That's, I mean, that's my guess. I'm, I've been trying to sort of think of what else it could be. Um, and it's... It really does seem like the the winds are pointing that way. I mean, Mark Rosewater even talked about it again on his blog, I believe, on Monday, some sort of uh, midday Monday. Um, again, hinting that modern players were going to be really excited about this product, and it was their it was their innovation set for the year. That's a set. So I'm thinking it's a set. It's definitely going to be for modern. 
it's not a master set, so it can't be reprints. I'm not sure what else it could be other than some sort of new modern cards. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that you have a situation where before Rosewater posted that, it was a conversation of, is it maybe modern challenger decks? Because that's something that right. they were really successful with last year. We had Gavin on the podcast two weeks ago, and he even inferred that the challenger decks were exciting and that modern ones might be something that's possible in the future. Um, that could be the exciting modern thing. But the fact that they're now inferring that it's a set, it, like the only thing I can think of is something just like out of the box modern focused. Something, I mean, I guess pun intended, but uh, <laughs> uh, like something in the arch enemy world where it's just like a totally different way to play with these cards than normal, but it has a modern focus to it. But I agree. I think that the like, what's the most exciting thing that can happen to modern or modern printed set that isn't new just cards. reprints and it's yeah. new cards? Or I guess the only thing I can think of is like, Cards that are printed in this set are modern legal. Here's Counterspell and Days. <laughs> yeah, and that's, I mean, that's. Yeah, okay, so that's another option, right? Is it could be a reprint set with legacy cards that are now modern legal instead. Like, I guess that could be an option, but I, I keep coming back to this innovation product thing, right? Is it's, if, if they sat around at their, their game jam or whatever they call it, hackathon. that's where they design <laughs> their hackathon. That's where they design cards, I'm pretty sure. So that tells me it's probably not reprints either coming in from Legacy or as Challenger decks. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, so there's a couple points to be made there um, sort of in reference to what you're talking about. And the first one is let's just say that they were going to reprint some Legacy staples. Now, Alex and I over the years have had many conversations about the Legacy cards we'd love to see in Modern, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh, yeah. Well, as you mentioned, the, the next Modern set that is sorry. The next expansion in standard is going to add something like 1.3 percent of the total volume of, of cards available, right? Like it's smaller and smaller yeah. every set. So, as the, if that's the case, at a certain point, modern is going to become legacy in their mind. Like it's going to be because yep. they can't support legacy anyway, right? There's the long term ability of wizards to actually support that format Ooh, is dead. I, I think modern's been that Correct. for yeah. t- at least two years, but they've been supporting it. They've been supporting it in the ways that they can. Now, as Arena is pushing, and we're seeing, obviously, a change in focus on Paper Magic, Modern may become that format that they begrudgingly support in the way that they did with Legacy for a long time. And I think that the only way to do that properly is to take the things that people love about Legacy and make them into Modern. So I don't think you're going to get... Obviously, there are cards that they can't print, but Days makes perfect sense to me. I don't know how Days is going to stay out of modern. I think eventually Force gets added to modern. I think eventually that's probably going to happen. If, if, if you're saying they're ripping the Band-Aid off and going to do old cards into modern, eventually, yeah, I mean, eventually I think that's something that could happen. Uh, my thought process on when does Wizards start treating modern the way they treat Legacy now is really if, if they are doubling down on Arena the way everyone is afraid that they're doubling down an arena and do we have a situation where they create frontier <laughs> right i mean that's and, I think and that's, that's a real suspicion well, go ahead yeah i think the, the thing i'm going to push back on a little is i think the reason that wizards was always begrudgingly as you say supporting legacy is because they never had full control over legacy right they unless they were going to eliminate the reserved list. And I have to assume that everybody in that building wants to repeal the reserved list, but can't for some legal reason that we don't fully understand. Mm -hmm. Um, They, there was no way to ever truly make legacy an accessible format for all. Um, But modern, they can, right? Like they, they can still print every single card in modern, including all the most valuable ones and make us go out and spend $10 a pack on it. So I definitely think that a new a new format is going to come along. Um, 
a sort of you can call it frontier whatever you want like that that definitely is going to happen but i don't think that the wizard's modern support will ever be as begrudging as it is for legacy simply because it's too lucrative for them and can continue to be lucrative for them as long as they want it to be a hundred percent and i i couldn't agree with that more um my point was sort of more that as we move further into arena and and that is something you know i think that's the topic we'd like to get to next yeah eventually there will be some sort of eternal arena format we we're all oh, kind yes. of in agreement there i think they've already basically said it so when that I mean, happens yeah. when there is this eternal arena format uh it becomes modern and modern becomes legacy and legacy becomes what vintage is currently which is something that only this tiny tiny sect of people play and yes no you're you're spot on with that so i mean i think that's and that's exciting because it means that this frontier format whatever we're calling it will be an exciting new format and it means that we'll always have support for modern in some way um as it will become the you know eternal format uh, of choice so um my first question to you chaz for just for today's topic is before we get into the full arena discussion, how do you think sure. magic finance has changed since you first started writing about it? Like, what do you think has been the biggest Oh boy, in a lot of ways. But before I get into that, can I actually get back? To, I want to address the sort of frontier thing because yeah. I'm actually really, yeah. I'm fascinated with that. And I've been thinking about that a lot in a lot of different ways in recent days. Um, because the thing that um, I, I can't quite reconcile with what's going to happen next. And the thing that's always been sort of concerning to me about that is when modern was first released, it was 30 sets deep. And that like, that's a deep pool of cards that created an interesting and varied format sort of straight off the bat. And now we're up to 63 sets or whatever. So it's a lot more. Um, When people sort of tried to make frontier as like a fan made set, it was something like 12 or 15 sets. It was like half the depth of modern. If that, and it wasn't all that much fun. It was a became kind of a, a dull slog of previous standard formats, best decks pretty quickly, as opposed to it being its own thing. Um, and that's why I don't think that Wizards can like truly pivot into like, oh, it's Arena Forward and this is the new Eternal format and you're all going to like it right away. Because if we're just starting with Eternal Forward, that's going to be like even that's going to be like a 10 set format. I'm I'm not sure who's going to want to spend a lot of their time playing a 10 set format, which means that either they're going to sort of slog along with a sort of a really underpopular, underpowered format for a while, or they're going to have to start bringing in old sets and old cards into arena, at which point, well, where's the cutoff? Or maybe you just sort of bring in modern and ban a few of the cards that you can't deal with on arena. And now you've got some sort of like weird pseudo modern on arena. Anyway, I, I think all that stuff is really fascinating. Well, I think um, and I'm not sure what's going to come out. And I think, you know, they tried it twice because not only did frontier attempt it on a, a grassroots level, but then wizards tried it with double extended or, or new extended one yeah, right, right before modern. Right, I mean, right. it was the precursor to modern happening and it was overextended. Is that what it's called? No, that was Gavin's. Format. Oh, that was Gavin's. Format. Yeah. yeah. New extended, uh, yeah. Uh, so it was, it was, it was called extended. They just trunk it so it was literally the last four years of standard sets versus the last two years and it was wildly unpopular yep, <laughs> uh, <hated right>. it. <laughs> and like i mean it, some of it was because it was off the back of jason stone toward mystic and they were a big part of that format but just it was like fairies versus john versus cobblade and it was miserable for most people i loved that format but <laughs> i'm a very specific person who loves uh, uh stoneforge mystic you're a gameplay. degenerate human uh, <laughs> uh but so I, I agree that that truncated format. Now, I think that if you – the opposite end of that is that Arena has a moment that we haven't witnessed really happen actually, and that is rotation. And the reason that yes. eternal formats exist to begin with is because 
or when they were created originally, you know, the reason standard is type two and there's type one is because they needed a format that let people deal with cards once they rotated. The reason modern is important for magic is because if I'm going to invest money into standard cards, I want at least some of them to hold value once they rotate towards a format at large and legacy was not able to be supported by wizards that we just discussed. Um, so there's going to need to be one and it's possible that it's more of a casual format to start. There's like, we have this format exists. It's not standard. It's type four. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think type four exists type five. <laughs> um, and it's just every card that's ever been available in arena. You still have your collections, enjoy playing. Um, and then eventually they start supporting it more and more competitively as it gets more and more popular. If it grows, I mean, the other answer, I mean, I do know that right now in the card files, or at least it was true as, when the beta launched to as wide as it was this fall, they had the sets up to Shadows Over Innistrad programmed into the system. So interesting. Uh, I believe Shadows Over Innistrad is the, f- and then Eldritch Moon were where it started, and then went into the Kaladesh and up to now. So those card files exist programmed into Arena. So it's possible that they can go maybe a little farther back or they start there. So that does buy them a little bit more space. Now, how do me arena player who's hoarding my wild cards as it is and begrudgingly has to waste every rare one I get on a land because I can't play without lands. Uh, how do I deal with that when now there's three extra sets of those cards available and how do I get access to this? I don't know because arena is a little bit more grindier as far as card acquisition goes than in regular magic. And actually speaking, oh, yes. of, speaking of that, just to that point, uh, Alex, so we have a kind of test product we're going to be putting out there very soon. This is a small plug for it, but we're going to be doing some arena content. And the first episode we're going to be doing is actually going to be talking about that economy, how you can get into it as a new player and how to make it work. Cause it's something I'm not super familiar with myself. I mean, I've done a little bit of it, but you've done a lot more Michael, who's another host here. So look out for that guys. It'll show up on this feed for you next week. Uh, if you do want to kind of learn a little bit about that, because we're going to start to lean into it as there are more cards printed, there are more cards introduced to arena. We want to be on the forefront of that new format when it happens. Right. And, and, but the, I guess the main relevance to the conversation at hand of this is also to kind of iron that in is modern is safe. I think even if this format does exist, but I think it's safe for a while because a format like frontier is not going to build popularity or be fun in a way that's going to be competitive to modern for a while. Yeah, and as Chaz mentioned, there's control over modern. Wizards has control over it, which right. is exciting. And it means uh, that they can support us if they want. With Legacy, they really couldn't. So, Especially if you look at just what, like, Standard was really unpopular until September. <laughs> yeah. <Yep>. So <laughs> it if, they had, if they had launched Arena in a worse Standard environment, I don't think that all, all of the decisions that have been made over the past three months would have been made. We, yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of, the last time Standard was... As no, even the, even with Cobblade, people loved Cobblade. It just was so expensive to buy into it. Yeah, no, I got nothing. There was a nice track record of mediocre standard formats for a while until just now, and good for them. The, the, the Kaladesh, the the two years of Kaladesh were brutal. Yeah, I mean, going from one band to another band to just sort of ignoring cards that were overpowered, it was just not fun. I forgot Marvel um, even happened for a second. I like yeah, literally right? just <laughs> artifact sets are bad for Magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All three times had record-breaking standard bannings, and they're like my favorite cards ever. Always, they're like yeah, my yeah. favorite sets. Well, because you like degenerate things, but like, uh, oh, I, I love Kaladesh Limited. I love the aesthetics of Kaladesh. I love the cards in my commander decks. Just a miserable standard environment. There's just so many sweet things, though. Like, how sweet of a card is Bomat Courier? Like, cards like that just make me so happy. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's uh, let's let's get to this topic. Back so the, to your question, I come sir. back yeah. to the question because I, I think it's interesting as somebody who, I mean, oh, I've, yeah, I've definitely had my eye on Magic Finance for a long time, and actually since we talked last, um, 
I did get involved in it a little bit and you know, I can allude to that a little bit more in a second, but back to the question I asked, how do you think magic finance has changed in the time since you started writing about it? So I started writing about magic finance 10 years ago, if you believe that it was in 2009. Um, when I was, I was sort of struggling, trying to break into television and, I was trading at my local store and I wanted to write sort of interesting trading stories. And that is how I got into it. In the Bane Slayer um, Angels first printed days. Exactly. Yep. That was pretty much it. Um, back then, Magic Finance was essentially a bunch of sharks taking advantage of information mismatches in order to make favorable trades and then selling their favorable trades online. Um, this was before the era when everyone had a smartphone. Believe it or not, it was like it was and just that was the beginning of that era. Right. Of the era. Yeah. So maybe you did. Maybe the internet was spotty. Maybe you couldn't find the information in time, or it was too much of a hassle, or whatever. But you know, basically, you'd be like, "I, I'm going to find this, you know, card that looks like it's a bulk rare. You don't know it's not. It's uh, thirty dollars. I'm going to trade you a ten dollars standard rare for it. You're going to be super stoked because you didn't think you had anything good." I'm going to turn around and sell this $30 card on TCG player for 25 and I'm going to make a ton of money. Um, or you would be, um, you'd, you'd, you'd look at the, the coverage and there wasn't a lot um, and nobody else really would. They'd sort of be waiting for the big article to come out. Right. So like you'd, you'd read the star city article from Chapin or whoever who would talk about the deck they just won with and then you'd go buy it. But the finance guy would have already, known about that deck list, um, bought out the cards and, you know, made a tidy profit on that. Yeah, I mean, and, I remember, I remember being at like PTQs or at GPs and like paying attention to the top tables and being like, Oh, Jund oh, is yeah. now like second week where it's just kind of killing it. And every deck at the top table, I'm going to go buy every drag skull summit or dragon skull summit that, that the dealers have. And then there, yep. and it was like two fifty then. Cause it was just like a, a basic, you know, a, a core set land, but then the next week it was $7 to $12 and exactly. you were able to pick it up. It was all about the information mismatches. Whoever had the best information, the fastest, they, they could have, you know, 10 or 30 different paths to victory. Right. So, so that's how it was when you started. That's how it was when when I started. It was free money, right? And it was very risk-free. Um, now it is less about that. Now, now you really have to try and be ahead on the trend. You have to not say it's 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 less about saying, well, first of all, trading is now if you're, you know, gonna make a mismatch trade, people are gonna call you out on it, and that's great. Like people trade less now, which I don't like, but they also are much more cognizant about like not being ripped off, which is lovely because it means that newer players aren't just getting like the sea of sharks descending on them when they first walk into the store. Um, but, but really now it's about saying, okay, what's good now? What can beat that? What's, what's the next trend going to be? It's, it's saying, okay, um, uh, this deck is go this, all, all of the deck can't beat a Carnage Tyrant. Carnage Tyrant is $15. I'm going to buy in. It's going to go to 30 I'm going to make my profit that way. So you're um, saying it's smarter. You're, you're, it's, it's way it's, less sharky, yes. and it's way more like actual predictive thinking. You, you, you have to be smarter and faster now. Um, it, it is less about sort of free money and ripping off rubes and just sort of like knowing, knowing about coverage, like knowing a good website, knowing somebody. Like, and it's more about like, no, you, you you have to know all the angles. You have to pay attention to the metagame. Things happen in hours instead of days. 
I got very lucky and got a very strong and drunk read on Arclight Phoenix <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. at Dallas That's Toy Fair. One. It was a dollar mythic that was spoiled and the entire internet yep. thought it was bad. And I was like, Vengevine is mediocrely good and is a $20 card. And this card wants good cards in play, not in your deck, not bad cards like Vengevine's wants. This card has to be better than a dollar mythic rare. Um, yeah, and we, so yeah I, we both bought a bunch of them. I bought like 35 to 40 of them. <laughs> um and yeah, I've had cash in my wallet since then. But I mean, so yeah, that's so. I mean, that's that makes sense. Um, the the difference, and that's like just the information change, right? That's evolution uh, in terms of what's accessible well, to people. It's almost better now. I mean, like the days of kids getting ripped off were problematic. Like yeah, the, they were the, bad. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that doesn't happen anymore. It was it was not a good thing for magic. Like the I the, regret. I, I tried to not do it much, but I definitely did do it in my younger days, and I regret it. Well, the trading game was always hard because you're like, oh, like. Yeah. If someone didn't know that they had something that was cool or good, you would try and get it from them. And obviously, like, I think back in the day, my line was like, you had to be over the age of 18 before I would start, like, trying to trade cards that you didn't understand the value that's, of from you. Yeah. But, like... The word, the weirdest reverse creepy move by an adult ever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, like, I would, I, I've definitely made the effort of, like, multiple times seeing someone trying to rip a kid off and being like... Don't yeah, do that, that. Card, that card's worth 30 bucks, not five. Yep. Um, Good for you. Yeah. But like, I think that the fact that now just smartphones have made it kind of leveled the playing field to an extent that it's not problematic. I mean, I, you know, when I was a kid, magic got banned from, and I like remember going to multiple schools in elementary school due to different reasons. And every single time, like within six months of me being there, magic would be banned out from the school because some kid would trade and it happened to Pokemon cards after magic or before or whatever. And oh, some kid sure. would trade. Yeah one kid a card that was worth nothing for an actual like dual land or something or, or power or something yeah. and then their parents would find out and be like no you spent $60 on this card <laughs> get back there and right. get it back and it was always like and the school eventually like well we can't keep an eye on it so let's just get rid of it I think also yep. you know one thing you mentioned here that I that I have paid attention to is over the years depending where you're at in your life right like, like depending where you're at in your life financially the way that you value magic cards and the way that you value trading magic cards totally changes right so if you're somebody who's doing pretty well and and you, magic is a hobby and you enjoy it but the difference of a dollar or two dollars or three dollars on a buy price it significantly affects the way you even bother trading and yes you know versus if you're really hustling like getting that two dollar gain on a card is everything and so I, I just remember over the years like at various times in my life thinking if I'm going to hold on to this card long term and I don't want to have to watch the price of it like a hawk, what are the things that I can get that I feel the most confident in? Which is why over the years, like all I seem to ever trade for are fetch lands. Like it's the old like that or Smart. now. Now it's like it's fetch lands or it's like reserveless cards because I can't really yep. think of anything else that I like want to bother paying attention to. I'll buy I'll trade for something at fifty. I don't want to wake up three years later and it's twenty two. Like I have all these spell skites. We bought all these foil spell skites. They're worth like nothing now. Uh, trading is exhausting. Yeah, totally exhausting. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. It is interaction, like chosen interaction with another person that you do theoretically, so that you can both end up like even at the end, right? Like, yeah. why would we do that when we have the internet? It like just the like getting a piece of paper and writing down I want these six cards and I have to look yeah. up every one of these cards on TCG player and like oh are we doing TCG player mid or low or are we doing That's ICG prices what's our standard and then like uh, I'll just buy it <laughs> yeah so okay I mean, so the reason I the reason I even got into trading is because back in like 2007 2008 I wanted a foil cube and I wanted all of the earliest foil pressings of all the rare cards mm -hmm. in the cube Sweet. 
And like, I, you couldn't find a lot of that stuff online. So I'd go to GPs and start reading through binders, like trying to make it happen. And it became this big treasure hunt. But, well, and that's different. Like that's a different version of that process. That's more about yeah. like trying to find older cards from people in an acceptable way to kind of do that at GPs instead of just like giving them cash. Um, right. Cause that's not a lot. You know, so uh, moving on from the the idea of sort of how it's changed over time, one thing that I know has changed a lot in the last two years, and this is I was talking about kind of my experience with Magic Finance, is the uh, the reserve list uh, became this thing. It became this really hot button topic, and that paired with counterfeits over the last two years has really changed the discussion and the narrative about investing in Magic cards. So yes. I'm sure you've paid a tremendous amount of attention to it. My question to you is right now, as we push forward with Arena and as we're starting to look at the price of paper magic long term, how do you think modern's price floor um, and it's the story that it's going to have in paper magic compares to, say, reserveless cards, uh, commander cards, standard cards? I mean, what do you do you think they're each a different conversation? Yeah, they're, they're, they're very different conversations. Um, I think reserve list cards are more like, you know, they're like 1950s baseball cards. It's this thing where the, the scarcity and the collector value matters so much that like owning like owning like a piece of power or um, a chaos orb or something like that is almost more of like owning a piece of the history of the game right. than it is having a card to play. Um, so, so I think that's, that's a different topic. Um, modern, modern cards, first and foremost, people are using them in tournaments. They're, they're, they're building modern decks. They're going to, to either small modern events near where they live, or they're driving to go to a a magic fest or something like that. And, um, they're, they're going to be tied a lot more to, uh, sort of the, the, the main two things, right? Or I guess it's, it's three now for getting new modern reprints. It's number one. Uh, how how many chances are there? How many chances do I have of using these cards? Um, number two, um, it's uh, how many reprints are there going to be? Um, because it's uh, the the price ceilings and floors are very different if there's going to be two master sets a year and if there's going to be no master sets or one every two years. And now number three, it's how often is the metagame going to change if we do get new modern cards? Because if we're entering a period where Wizards is saying okay, maybe we're not like fully having all these modern tournaments and highlighting the format in all of these ways, but we're going to drive interest to the format by shaking it up like crazy every year. Um, I mean, that's going to be a very different climate if that's actually what comes to pass. And it's going to make the modern market a lot more volatile. Uh, Right now, do you think, what do you think the best market in terms of paper magic to invest in long-term is? The best? Um, I I still like... It depends what you mean by long-term. I still like playing cycles. Uh, I think the easiest way to make money in Magic Finance is to just sort of like pay pay attention to long sort of yearly cycles and then longer-term cycles. So like one of the things I, I talked about a lot in my article this week is Ultimate Masters cards. They were just reprinted. It's like, you know, the seven, seven of the top 10 most expensive cards in modern. They're expensive for a reason, plus a lot of other stuff. You know, they're not going to be reprinted anytime soon. They're staples for a reason because they're played in a lot of different decks. So if you're looking a year or two out, um, I don't see a reason why a card like Liliana of the Veil is going to be worth less two years from now than it is right now, because it's probably not going to be reprinted again, unless the metagame changes so drastically that it just doesn't see play anymore. Which may happen, but modern is more stable than other formats because of that. Or like Snapcasters, um, you can buy Snapcasters right Snapcaster, now for like forty-eight right? bucks. Fetch, you, you said you you always trade for fetch lands, right? Like yeah. 
the the longer we go without getting a Fetchland reprint, the higher they're going to be because you need a Fetchland for literally every format that a Fetchland is legal in, including casual. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think there's you know as we go into the future of Arena being such a big part of magic and if i'm wizards and right now i'm reading the comments on the internet which they absolutely are (laughs) and that is currently at least if not a majority of the portion of people talking about magic right now but a loud minority is talking about how arena is a net negative towards paper magic, the best way for me to show the world that this is not true and the best way to keep all the people on Modo happy, that Modo still exists, and the best way to keep everyone that plays modern happy and standard paper happy is putting a big foot forward towards modern being successful. Like, yes. like supporting that format specifically, A, it's like very watchable. I mean, we've on the podcast talked a lot about how from a viewership perspective, modern is one of the easiest formats to keep watching because you don't have to be up to what's most recent and standard. You can leave magic for a year and come back and be like, oh yeah, dredge or dredge vine or dredge is still a thing or um, blue white control. I understand 75% of the cards in that deck already because that hasn't changed in five years. Um, And it's something that arena can't do. So it's a reason paper magic needs to exist still. And it allows kind of all of the worlds to come together in a way being like, this is a format that we care about. We're going to do exciting stuff for this format. And maybe that's exactly what the set is. The set that's coming out, the fact that they're going to be reprinting new cards into it, not will be, but the fact that that's what we're kind of expecting at this point means that this is something that you can't get in arena. This is something that's super exciting. The people that love this format, love this format, and it offers something totally different than what you're getting somewhere else. I also think it's interesting, you know, when was GPLA? September, October? Is that what it was? September. It was in September, and I'll tell you, the word Alex and I described that GP with, or when it was still called a GP when we were there, was sleepy. It was... Kind it, was of st- co- it was standard in August. So, like... It just was. Oh it, yeah, no it, one wants to play standard in August. It was just a quiet <laughs> GP. It was like eight or nine hundred people. Right. It was like there wasn't much of a feel to it. We had an awesome time. We did this incredible meetup. Um, we had so much fun, and there was forty or fifty of our fans that showed up for it. But the actual feeling of the event was really quiet. And I'm wondering, in two weeks in Los Angeles, is Magic Fest Los Angeles for Modern going to be insane, or is it going to be another quiet GP? So I think I think it's going to be based on a the response of people I know that are coming to LA for it, like the Magic community member size of things. There's a much more excited number of people coming to GPLA this time than they did in September. Um, the fact that it's modern yeah. is a huge appeal, especially right now, where you know the the problem with the August with GPLA last time was. It's standard, summer standard, and it is the worst, and it was a bad standard format on top of that. (laughs) Um, So, like, you have low attendance because no one cares about that. Now, what's going to be interesting is how Channel Fireball recognizes the difference between those events. Is it going to be a similar setup to last September where it was a side room at the LA Convention Center, or are they going to be prepared to maybe handle a larger Magic Fest event? And that's the last piece is, that was a GP. This is a Magic Fest. And True. we're now yeah. going to get a very distinct understanding of how Wizards yep. is going to treat the difference between those two things. I, I, I really do think that that one of the reasons why we're seeing all of the outcry and the drop coverage and all of that is that Wizards wants these events to be not about the main event, but about the experience of going. Maybe you play in the main event or not. Maybe you play a bunch of sides, but like it's just this sort of like whole bigger thing that is like less about the main, less about winning the event and more about like going there to play a lot of magic. And for some people, that's a net positive. For others, it's a huge negative. But I, that seems to be what they want these to be. 
When when was the first Magic Fest? How long ago? Or is January? Okay, so we've yeah. only had a couple. So like that yeah, GP we were talking about a couple weeks ago with like the really sad coverage was that a Magic Fest? That was the was... first Magic. Fest? Yes, that was the first one. That was when people realized uh, this is going to be different than we thought, guys. Like that, like coverage going away. It, it appears that they took the budget that they used to put towards coverage and have given it to the pro league. The pro league. That's yes, like that's it, pretty clear. Yeah, and, and like. Which makes sense for why they did that. We like it's regrettable now. At the same time, it looks like Channel Fireball is kind of stepping up to the plate and picking up a lot of the staff that used to do GP coverage to start doing GP coverage again because Channel Fireball is the exclusive vendor of all. You know, they do all GPs. So right. theoretically, that should slowly be coming back on the Channel Fireball feeds. Um, but in the meantime, I it, don't it's, know how much the video is going to be, but they're definitely at least doing. The written coverage, yeah. It also puts an increased focus on the SCG side of things and how well they've done with their coverage. It makes those events feel even more special, which I think is... Yeah, the... Go ahead. The SCG tour has basically lapped Wizards coverage for years now, and they're they're getting better, um, and those events are starting to see a lot more viewers. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. And I, I think that may even be part of what Wizards is doing here. They're like, we can attempt to try and do what SCG is doing for us, or we can kind of take, you know, this is literally six months ago, I was on this podcast, shout, not shouting, but, you know, telling the world, Magic GP should be conventions. I've been yes. doing it for years. <laughs> and when I go, like, it's silly to me that there isn't a command zone, and I'm using bunny ears, Chaz, that the camera can see, but you can't. <laughs> um, sure. uh, area at every GP where you just can go play commander. The fact that I can't play commander at a GP without six judges telling me to move every three turns absurd. is absurd. Yep. Um, been, there, been there several times. <laughs> and or a cube station or, you know, there's there's yep. there's so many other things that I want to go to a magic GP for. I haven't played in a modern GP maybe in two years, not because I haven't been to GPs. I've been to f- at least five of them in that time. But because when I go, I'd rather play six modern events while also hanging out with people, while also playing Commander, yep. while also playing... Maybe I'll do a Tiny Leaders event because it's weird and it just started that year. You know, maybe I'll do the Weird Frontier event. You know, like try different stuff out there and go That's look at cars I want to buy. That's to me. Yeah. I, I know, I, I'm not trying to go on the grind. I've never been a good enough Magic player. I'm a fine Magic player, but I, you know, I could maybe spike a GP, but I... Usually when I go and I sign up for the main event, I end up, you know, so, you know, X and two or something. It's late on day one. And I'm just like, no, I'm still in contention. And technically, I'm just going to drop and hang out with friends and do other stuff. Yeah, the amount like and, and, and part of the issue, I think, for me and why I started not playing in them as much is because of the you don't really realize how not successful you're going to be until you've already wasted seven hours of your time that like Mm -hmm. I could have played three drafts and played against a hundred games against fans and hung out with a bunch of people that wanted to hang out and see friends that don't get to see because they traveled from out of town or I can like sit against four strangers and maybe lose. <laughs> and we mentioned it at the top yeah. of the show, but uh, you know, we're doing another meetup this time and, and we had so much success and so much fun at the last one. That's great. It's the thing I'm probably looking forward to the most about that weekend. Oh yeah. It's, it's hanging out with a ton of like-minded people that are there to have a good time that like do some chaos drafts. Yeah. Like... We, we ran three of them, 24 people's worth of chaos drafts last time with some epic packs. And I think this time we're going to probably be up to more like 40, 40 people worth. Yeah. Um, I mean, cast drafts are some of my all-time favorite magic. So events. much They're fun! Some of my best memories at, at big events. I spent that whole draft just reading Ice Age cards out loud, and it was one of the most fun. I've <laughs> I, I won like one of my chaos events with like some Fallen Empires rare that was like I was so pleased. It was so bad, 
but it was just like unbelievable. Like comboed with some other bad card. I was like, and then Fire Covenant, or the Ice Age card the next day. There are cards that I lost to that I passed that I should have first picked just because I was too tired to read them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ice Age. I've, yeah. Had a, I've had a good time just forcing blue white flyers in almost every chaos. Yeah, right? and that's always the safest way. Um, yeah. Yeah, so. Um, I think, I think when it, sorry, when, when it comes to a lot of the, the like wizards' business decisions, I think a lot of people like wizards is a part of Hasbro. And Wizards had a really great quarter. Like, Magic and D&D did really well. Like, things are working. People in the building know it's working. Oh, yeah, they did. Hasbro? Hasbro did not do well, right? There's no Michael Bay Transformers movies coming out anymore that they can sell infinite toys for. So the fact that they're squeezing... Bumblebee did okay. It's part of of the, the story here that we're not really talking about. Yeah, I mean, so we, I don't, Chaz, I don't know if you know this, but I own a toy company and, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, Ben, Ben works for me in that toy company. And, and so we're very attuned with how at least Hasbro is doing. And, you know, Toys R Us going out of business was a huge uh, loss for the industry as a whole and especially the bigger players because, Toys R Us was not maybe the largest number of stores. It's not a Walmart or Target, but what it did have was depth. And so, and the right. bigger the company you are, the more that depth was important to you. And Magic and D&D had the best year, I think, in history. Um, yeah. Between Arena coming out and between D&D becoming literally a cultural touchstone for the first time since like the 80s. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> um, last time D&D was that popular, I guess like it was banned for devil worship. <laughs> uh, and uh, what was it? Holy Strength was... Unholy Strength. Unholy Strength was... Uh, art was changed. Um, and demons were banned for Magic. <laughs> um, but Hasbro definitely is like... But even, I mean, did you listen to their, their fourth quarter review, Chess? I, I, no, I didn't. I, I read a summary of it. Yeah, so, but I mean, one thing that they did focus on in there was Magic and Wizards of the Coast is one of the most profitable divisions of this company. And they're sense. going to be supporting them, and they're having a huge strength thing. I think the biggest mistake Wizards is making right now, and I think this is mostly just, like, growing pains more than anything, is... They need a CJ Craig, if you're familiar with West Wing, but uh, uh, they need a press person who's like high enough in the company that they actually have a conversation with people and can actually accomplish things when they're talking to people. Someone that's talking to people and is announcing these things and is a, a focal point of where you're communicating from. I think also when you're communicating through poor Blake having, you know, half a tweet every couple of weeks. And I love Blake. I've worked with him before. He's great. But putting putting it all on his shoulders is uh, tough. And Blake is not like they need kind of like Blake and Gavin smushed into one person into that type of position where they're both because Blake is not that public facing. He's public facing, but he's not like on the front of the page. I don't you know, most people don't know what Blake looks like. And they need someone right. that they're communicating with and feel like that is listening to them and being able to make these announcements clearly so that people know what's going on. I think they're doing a good job. Um, I mean, in the basic sense, and we, we run into this with the toy company sometimes, you know, what grabs people's attention when you're in a sea of people that don't want to pay attention to you are tangible things people can grab onto. So right now, $250,000 going to first place at a tournament in a Magic the Gathering tournament, that's tangible. That's a big thing someone yes. can grab onto. $10 million in prize money, even if it is messing up a little bit of the video coverage aspect, that's okay because right now they're advancing the narrative that Magic is a player, that we matter, that you should pay attention, that this game's a long-term thing that's here to stay. And I think there'll be some growing pains, but that's smart and that that's working right now for the brand. Well, I think I think the the... Yes, that is true. But the reverse of that, I would say, is that the changes to competitive play in general 
have not been, and I think some of it is that they don't know. And I think some of it is once they make announcements, they get feedback and then they change some of their plans based on that feedback. So then what they thought they knew is no longer even true. Like, I think that they, you know, had planned to talk about the fact that coverage is basically being canceled for GPs, but they didn't plan on it going out the way it did. And then when people reacted so negatively, instead of them being like, oh yeah, this is what's happening. They're like, oh, maybe this shouldn't happen. And let's make sure Channel Fireball is picking up the slap to make up for that. And so there, there's no, I mean, I think we can all agree that they could be communicating what their plans are a little bit better, but I think we can also agree that what they're doing right now is extremely successful and like that's exciting. Um, we only have you for a few more minutes here, Chaz. So just a couple last things to wrap up. Um, sure. Yeah. Sorry. I derailed you for so long. No, no, it's, it's totally cool. I mean, this is, this is always so illuminating to ask questions to you. And this is like the thing that you focus on the most in magic. So the first question I have, um, for a long time, sealed product was one of the most stable investments. You could, you could buy a box of something. You'd sit on it for a couple of years. Yes or no. Is it still the same or do you think it's changed? No, it's not the same. Uh, things have changed. Uh, for one, they print a lot more to order. Uh, it used to be they printed uh, just less product. It would disappear from shelves quicker. Um, I think the other thing is it was this sort of year-over-year doubling of the player base, right? You had, you know, starting in Zendikar and going up through original Innistrad, you had this period in Magic where, you know, Modern was coming into its own and you looked at cards from a few sets back and there were lots fewer people playing then. So you'd have cards just sort of shooting up through the roof um, and we need to see that kind of growth again before sealed product becomes a, a good and viable spec. Right now, it's just, you know, there, there there are not a lot of cards in a lot of these recent sets that are really expensive modern staples. And the ones that are then get reprinted. So so I guess sets. a question on that, though, is for all all rumors are pointing to we are at the cusp or in the middle of or just beginning that type of growth again with Arena doing yep. what it's doing. So. Should I be buying cons boxes <laughs> for maybe, the first time maybe, in five years? Like, maybe you should. I think the difference now is that when a lot of that growth was happening, Wizards was not actively reprinting cards, right. and now they are. Like, even with the death of the Masters series, if you looked at Gavin's article from a couple of weeks ago, the entire thrust of it was you want more reprints, you're getting more reprints sort of over and over again with all these products. Wait, he, so Yeah, he was on yeah. the podcast and he said the same thing where he was basically that we are coming out with the master sets actually hurt reprint chances now that they're gone we can reprint stuff in much larger numbers more often um two that's that's fascinating yeah last two quick questions then we'll let you go um first one you mentioned ultimate masters are good buys right now you think the ultimate masters reprints but there's also magic prices in modern are depreciated right now compared to where they have been yes do you think there's a lower floor on the format in general we're going to get to based on paper magic is demise panic or or do you think now is a great time to buy in uh, yeah, that's going to depend a lot on a couple of factors. I was writing about this in my article this week. Um, if the new set is announced and it's uh, shaking up modern to its core, I don't think people will be talking so much about Paper Magic's demise. I think they're going to be so excited to play new things in modern that prices are going to shoot through the roof in two weeks. If that doesn't happen and that product is not what we all think and it ends up being you know, something disappointing, um, yeah, I think that they're, they're definitely... Um, is a shot that things are going to go lower. Historically, modern prices have tended to go up in the spring. That's generally been when the format's shaken up, tends to be when the major modern tournaments are, tends to be when people get their tax returns back. Um, I'm already starting to see some signs of that happening in the market now, but obviously this year is different because we've got the arena stuff and you know that people's tax returns are all messed up. And it, it may not happen to that degree, and we may end up with uh, an even bigger swoon this summer. 
I mean, if, if we don't see this, this spring push that we've seen in years past and we don't see this new product, then yeah, modern prices, you know, may drop by another 20%. Um, but I see enough on the horizon that makes me excited about the short-term growth in the format that I think the smart money is probably on buying now. Um, that could be wrong, but that's where I'm at. Um, the reserve list conversation, one last point to ask on yeah. it. So obviously power, if you can get power or dual lands that are near mint for a good price, I think we all can agree that's the only just going to keep going up. But the stuff on the bottom 20 or 30% of prices that's on the reserve list. So even just near mint commons from alpha and beta, right. uh, the, the last remaining uncommons and rares and antiquities and Arabian nights that are on that list that are even remotely affordable cards like that, even two and $3 rares that seem like they might have a moment uh, from Weatherlight and visions that are on the reserve list. Do you think that like in a five year buy, those are just all money investments. They're just eventually going to all rise based on scarcity. Probably. I think there's a couple of things at play here. One is how good the counterfeits get. Um, uh, I, if they get really, really, really good, maybe that stuff comes down. But again, people have been counterfeiting high level, you know, mid-century baseball cards for years. And the authentic graded copies of those are worth a fortune. Um, I also wonder how much of that growth was attributed to the crypto bubble, which I don't yep. think is coming back. Um, I think a lot of people, it's, it's really hard to get money in and out of crypto, but you can trade it into magic easy enough sometimes. So I think a lot of that growth was due to people having more money than they knew what to do with and trying to move it into something else, something tangible. Uh, that said, yeah, I think if, if, if we're looking in five years, probably those cards are, are more, I, I would say maybe less legends and more alpha beta. I think, Alpha beta is the print runs are so small and it's such an important part of the history of the game. Just owning a piece of that first set feels like you're like shaking hands with Richard Garfield at the start of something big. Like if you could buy like a Holy Strength or a Banalish Hero near mint for like four bucks. Yeah. Is it just worthwhile? Yeah, 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 yeah. People, you know, people are going to keep discovering this game. I think one of the things about Arena that like. Yeah, it's it's kind of like it's hard organized play in a lot of ways, and I get why people are upset. The fact that they were actually able to make a digital client that feels like magic, that like works and is fun to play, is <laughs> fairly remarkable. I right. didn't yeah, think they I were agree. going to do it. So that tells me that this game is going to outlive us, like in yep. some form or another. So owning a piece of that very first set, I can't imagine that ever being a bad investment. Yeah, that's, that was my thought too. I guess uh, we do have a little bit. So one one other question, because this is the big news of the weekend, and we talked yeah. a lot a little bit at the beginning of the episode. Um, what are your reactions to Magic Fest London being scheduled the day of the pre-release? Yeah, um, I. A lot of people are really upset about this one, um, and I get why. Um, I think that right now this might not be a really good time for Wizards of the Coast to be upsetting the ecosystem of the local game stores um, who do need that revenue to struggle. Um, I am a little less doom and gloom about this one, mostly because I've been playing Magic for 20 years or longer. Um, the large regional pre-releases, that was my favorite event of the yeah, year. Me too. Every, like, right. every year. When when those pre-releases went to LGS only, I was just crushed, and I never really abandoned that crusade to try and get them back. <laughs> For like years and years and years, I would keep tweeting at them. Before I was a financer, I'd be like, bring bring them back. I miss it. This is how I met new friends. Because what you know, I wasn't playing competitively, I was playing more casually. And like that was the way I got to do that. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing if they did it right and like found a way to balance it and make it local events or I, I don't know. 
again, I think this comes down to the communication was bad. People got blindsided. It is like really affecting people in one region over another. And like, you're going to get a lot of hurt feelings and confusion and people speculating wildly when you just sort of throw something out there and don't tell people what it means. Yeah. I mentioned this before uh, when we did the new stuff at the beginning. Um, I think the biggest harm is that London or the UK itself is such a small geographical region that like most people there are going to go this to this large event where if you did this in the middle of the US, if this was in Chicago, that doesn't mean that all of the West Coast is going to go there and all of the East Coast. So most stores in the country survive. It's just London only has X amount of stores and how much of that carpool is going to be or people pool is going to be brought to this event. Yeah, no, that's real. And it also goes back to the fact that Wizards has never really done a great job of being able to support the sort of magic scene in the UK because they have the, you know, the policy about no sanctioning events in places that serve alcohol. And so much of London is based around this pub culture where, you know, even even younger magic players are, you know, playing in those venues and a lot of people lost their sanctioning. So, yeah, this is this has been a trend for a while, I think, of like trying to to make things work overseas where it's different than the US and it not going well one way or another. Hopefully they'll find a way to make it work. Awesome. Um, Chaz, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I, I really Happy appreciate to. you taking the time. We'll hopefully have you uh, before three more years pass. <laughs> Sounds good. Just let um, me know. And uh, anything you want to shout out before you head out? And like where can people um, find you? Yeah, so you can find me every week on StarCityGames.com, uh, on YouTube if you go to the MTGO Traders channel. Uh, and then I've got another project I'm doing. I'm uh, streaming weekly with Magic Judge Eric Levine. Uh, if you're in the Magic community, I'm sure you've heard his very loud voice. Um, and we're we're streaming sort of silly games and hanging out with people. If you're if you're a fan of silly Let's Plays or like the McElroy Brothers content or anything like that, uh, we've got a YouTube channel. We're just starting up called Pixel Crimes. And we're streaming. Uh, you can look me up on Facebook and get that URL. Um, and uh, you can come hang out with me every week on Wednesday. Awesome. Um, all right, man. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and thank we'll, you so much uh, for coming on. Talk to you on the next so one. Thank you so much. Yep, absolutely. Take care. Good luck. See Thanks, you guys. So that was great. Yeah, that guy is like such a treat to have on. He knows so much about magic prices and so much about finance. Like Magic in really? general. I mean, yeah, he's he's been writing on SEG basically since I started playing the game. I mean, that literally, he said 10 years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was great. But uh, it's going to wrap up our episode for the week, guys. So as we mentioned at the beginning, be sure to check out you know the Twitter, the Facebook, all the things to know about our meetup at Grand Prix Los Angeles if you're going to be there at Magic Fest LA, I think it's actually called. Um, we're really excited about it. We're going to be you know doing chaos drafting. Um, we All of the things that we said earlier on the social media follows, but just as a quick reminder, we're on Twitter at the MMCast. I'm at Kess Wiley. I'm at Ben Bateman Media. Be uh, sure to check out our sister podcast. The Command Zone. There you uh, go. Uh, we are both on Collected.Company. We're also both on iTunes and Stitcher and all the other different uh, uh, podcast activities. Uh, YouTube channel is really important if you're watching this on YouTube right now. Uh, like and subscribe, um, and definitely let us know what you think. Uh, your favorite card, uh, or what card would you buy into right now with Modern Season at the low that it is? We talked a lot about with Chaz about different cards that are valuable. We mentioned Snapcaster Mage. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on which card is going to be uh, peak quickly into the new modern format. Um, and make sure to check out the Facebook group and make sure to make sure to keep an eye out for um, the uh, meetup at GPLA. We're going to be there. There's going to be a Facebook event on uh, both through our group and our Facebook page. So if you check out both of those places, you'll be able to see the event details with locations and other information. And you can you can uh, RSVP there so we know how many people are going to show up. And we look forward to seeing you guys there. And tweet at me to let me know what deck you think I should play at Magic Fest LA. Because I need to know. I know what you guys think. And I have to start working on it pretty soon. 
Enter the Spider-Verse is still in theaters. You can go see it, too. I need to go see it. We're supposed to talk about it on AMA, like, next week, I think. Oh, you should see it immediately. I'm going to need to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. I have a screener at home. Oh, okay. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll see you same time, same place next week with Best of One. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Thank you for your attention. See you later, alligator. <laughs>